Our Holy Father, it is a great comfort to us as your people, Lord, to know that you are in such absolute, immeasurable control of our lives. Nothing in any part of our life is outside of your sovereign purpose. What you have predestined according to the counsel of your will, it comes to pass every day for us. Lord, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for the revelation of it from your holy word. What a joy it is to us as your people to sing and praise to you of it. And Father, tonight as we continue worshiping you, and now by the opening of your word to hear it faithfully taught, we pray the Holy Spirit will open our eyes, open our hearts to see, to behold, to receive those things from your word that will sanctify us more and more tonight in the way of righteousness, in the way of holiness, in the way of greater godliness as we need it, Lord, each one of us as your saints. We thank you, Father, for the daily process of our sanctification and how the truth of your word taught is your divine means, that channel of grace to that holy end. We commit all these things into your hands now for the sake and the honor to the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord, your eternal Son. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, I do invite you to take God's holy word and let us open up to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, as we will be looking tonight at what I have entitled Pride's Ruin. Pride's Ruin. Proverbs chapter 18. We'll be reading verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Let's read that once more. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And so reads the infallible, inerrant word of the living eternal God. The book of Proverbs is filled with contrasts. Whether it's the contrast between the wise and foolish, the rich and the poor, the diligent and the lazy... Proverbs puts an emphasis on different kinds of people and their character and circumstances, which we see all around us in this fallen world. But perhaps one of the most 
singled out contrast in Proverbs is between pride and humility. Pride is set apart in Proverbs as a sin that will bring inevitable destruction. Whereas humility is highlighted as that grace which always leads to honor. In our present studies through Proverbs, I want us this evening to take a close look at what God's wisdom book for everyday living teaches us about the sin of pride and the grace of humility. As Christians indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the grace of humility is a real part of our new nature in Christ. But it is a grace that must grow and be cultivated via the lifelong process of sanctification. And while we're striving to grow in this grace, we're still having to fight against remaining sin in our flesh, which means that the sin of pride continues to be a menace and strong temptation for all of us as God's people. But this is where we need God's wisdom to teach us about pride and humility so that we can be better equipped in how we must put on humility and put off pride as we pursue a more faithful walk with God. So as we turn to the book of Proverbs to consider what I'm calling pride's ruin and humility's honor, we'll divide up our study under this title. We will look first at pride's ruin and then second humility's honor. Tonight, however, our study will focus exclusively on pride's ruin. To begin this part of our study, we need to start with a proper definition. When the book of Proverbs bespeaks of pride, what does this term mean exactly? Well, the Hebrew word translated pride is used in Proverbs and throughout the Old Testament refers to haughtiness, arrogance, insolence and acting presumptuously. It denotes a way of thinking about one's self that is exaggerated and doesn't correspond with the reality of who they really are. In other words, it is thinking more highly of yourself than what you should think. It is having, therefore, such an inflated ego that when this person walks into a room, everyone suffocates because a prideful person consumes the space everyone has to breathe since they see themselves as the only truly important person in the room. This is the arrogance and ugliness of pride. And when a person is carried away with this sin, they're intolerable to be with since they really see themselves as better and thereby superior to everyone around them. When facing then a prideful man or woman, what does God's word tell us to expect? In the first place, we should expect fighting. We should expect fighting. Proverbs 13 verse 10 declares that by insolence comes nothing but strife. By the term strife is meant fighting. A prideful person, due to their colossal ego, is neither prepared nor able to accept convictions or counsel not his own. Thus, the results of reproving insolent people will be fruitless arguing and fighting since they cannot accept any other position but their own. 
This is because they are guilty of what Proverbs 3, 7 admonishes us not to be, which is wise in your own eyes. You see, with pride, there is no teachable, reasonable spirit at all. A prideful person takes no delight in understanding, but only in expressing their own opinion, which Proverbs 18 and verse 2 tags as the way of the fool. But someone who is full of themselves has no room in their thinking for anything but what they believe is true and right. So when this arrogant person is challenged to reconsider their position, then a fight will always ensue. It should be added to this fact about pride's consequent with fighting that the Hebrew word translated pride is rooted in the Hebrew term zed, which means to seethe, as in bristling or burning with anger. A prideful man is thus an angry man. He is someone who is quick-tempered, someone who has what we might say is a short fuse. Thus we read in Proverbs 15 and verse 18 that a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. So the strife that comes with pride is rooted in a hot or angry temper. There's therefore a direct connection between pride and anger. And this shouldn't be hard to see. Since a man or woman full of pride believes they're superior to everyone else around them, then underneath this arrogance is a brewing anger ready to fight anyone who may disagree. In the second place, with the sin of pride, there is a denial of God's providence. A denial of God's providence. Proverbs 27 verse 1 admonishes us, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Since the prideful man thinks he knows it all, then his outlook on the future is secure in his own mind because it is determined by his own plans. To qualify his plans with the caveat, if the Lord wills, is to the prideful man both silly and superstitious. Prideful sinners, therefore, have no category for Proverbs 16 and verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Or Proverbs 16 and verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. To the heart of man consumed in his pride, it is always his plans that determine any part of his life. So he makes his plans believing, believing that what he can do will determine both his immediate and distant future. Man's pride actually convinces him that he is in control total control of his destiny. So then to tell a prideful sinner that their life with all its plans is completely under the control of a sovereign God who is establishing their steps and has already marked out every day they will live on earth 
To communicate that truth of God's word to a prideful person is offensive to the extreme. They have no category in their thinking for what Psalm 139 and verse 16 tells us plainly that every day of our life has already been written in God's book before those days ever existed. They have no category in their thinking for what Acts chapter 17 verses 24 through 26 teaches us that God has predetermined the boundaries and the dwelling of where each person shall live on earth. Not at one time, but in the entire scope of human history. No category for that. They have no category for Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed unto man once to die. Death is appointed. That's right. We know that. Appointed by God. There will, there will not be anyone who can say that they departed from this world either later or sooner than they should have. No. You will depart exactly when God is appointed. But for the prideful person, they cannot bear that. They cannot put up with that. In their pride, in their pride, they refuse to believe that God is ruling, reigning, and governing every part of their life. In short, they deny the truth of God's providential works. And while in a true Christian, such a truth about God is never denied in an absolute sense. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a Christian if it was. Now, let me pause here for a moment. Understand the statement I just made. In a true Christian, this truth about God, this truth about his absolute sovereignty over all things, okay, in a true Christian, that truth is never denied in an absolute sense. No true Christian will say God has no control whatsoever over anything. Anyone who claims to be a Christian, but yet they deny God's sovereignty in an absolute sense, they're not a Christian. Because the God they're claiming to believe in is not the God of Holy Scripture. They're believing in a different God. They're worshiping a different God. So, while in a true Christian, such a truth about God is never denied in an absolute sense, yet, yet, because of their own remaining sin and the pride that is, that is there, they can, and many do, speaking of Christians, become agitated over the fact that they themselves do not have such control of their destiny so that in the end, it will be because of what they decided and not what God predetermined that landed them in eternal glory. To say this another way, the reason a Christian will reject God's outright sovereignty in saving them through Christ is because of nothing but their own sinful pride. <laughs> that's, that's all it boils down to. It's their pride that blinds them to the truth that God has predestined their eternal salvation. 
God may be in charge of the world, a Christian reasons in his pride, but he's not in out and out control of where every individual sinner will end up for eternity. Man controls that, not God. I've heard professing Christians express those very words to me through the years. They're not denying that God is sovereign in an absolute sense, but they also don't believe in the absolute sovereignty of God. <laughs> he's in charge, but he's not in complete control of who goes to heaven. But as we know, beloved, God's word plainly says the opposite, very plainly. The picture then, which Proverbs gives us about the sin of pride in the prideful, is someone who is lifted up in their own eyes, thinking they're better than everyone around them, unteachable and angry when given anything to learn and thus they're always given to, to stirring up a fight. And lastly, the prideful boast about their future believing their plans are the first cause of everything since they deny God's control of it by the works of his providence. But what should the prideful expect of their outcome? Or to ask in another way, how will God treat the proud? The book of Proverbs is replete with what we can call pride's ruin. In the first place, let's be crystal clear, God hates pride. God hates pride. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 teaches us that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And at the top of the list is haughty eyes. By this term, haughty eyes, it is referring to the pompous arrogance of the prideful sinner who exalts himself over others. And the reason this sin is listed at the top of God's hate list is because no vice stands in greater and sharper opposition to the wisdom and fear of God. In the second place, since God hates the proud, then according to Proverbs 15 and verse 25, he will tear down their house. He will tear down their house. Despite how lifted up they may be in their own eyes and with what tyranny they impose on others, yet what they have built out of their arrogance, God will destroy. He will tear down the house of the proud. In the third place, the proud and arrogant in heart must know and be assured that they are in their sin nothing but an abomination to the Lord, as Proverbs 16 and verse 5 plainly says. 
The term abomination is the translation of a Hebrew word that means to turn the stomach. The proud in heart are repulsive to God and the glory of who he is. A great example of this is in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. And we'll start reading at verse 28. Verse 28 to verse 37. Daniel chapter 4, beginning at verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? What's happening there? He's lifting himself up, way up. All the credit, all the glory he's taking for himself. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. What a sight that man must have been. God drove him to utter insanity because of his pride. Look at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And then look at this. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Those who walk in pride... The Lord is most able to humble. The pride of Nebuchadnezzar was an abomination to God. And God, with one fell swoop, 
with no difficulty, effortlessly, takes Nebuchadnezzar completely off his throne, drives him into the wilderness, not just into a literal physical wilderness, but into the wilderness of utter darkness and insanity until Nebuchadnezzar would learn who is really in control. Who really is God? It is not man. It is the Lord. In the fourth place, Proverbs 11 in verse 2 assures the prideful that their arrogant ways will bring nothing but disgrace. When pride comes, we're told, then comes disgrace. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. This Hebrew word translated disgrace carries the idea of shame, dishonor, and reproach in the context of a public fall. As one writer observes, disgrace comes because the presumption of self-importance involves the grabbing of authority that rightfully belongs to God and others whom the Lord has placed in authority, thus pitting the proud in opposition to them. In other words, since the prideful always see themselves above everyone else, then they naturally defy God's social order of authority. But the Lord will not tolerate such arrogant rebellion for long. Public disgrace will be the inevitable outcome of proud sinners who despise God's authority. Let's look at two examples of this in Scripture. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. And remembering, remembering what we're considering here, Proverbs 11, verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Numbers chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoke only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. How, why then were you not afraid to speak 
against my servant Moses. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes, when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not, did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. What happened to uh, Miriam? She was disgraced. In her pride, lifting herself up against who? Against Moses, who was the man of God. The man upon whom God had delegated his authority. And there was Miriam and Aaron too. And they were mocking God's man. And define his authority. And what did the Lord do? He shamed him. He shamed him. Again, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Miriam was publicly disgraced. Let's go to another text. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 26, we see another very good example of this. Second Chronicles chapter 26, we'll start reading at verse 16 to verse 21. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Verse 16, but when he was strong, this is speaking of King Uzziah. When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense." And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. 
And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. What happened to King Uzziah? What does the text say? Oh, he grew proud. In fact, he grew so proud that he defied the authority of God's law, violated God's law, went into the temple and started doing those things he had no authority to do. Only the priest had the authority to do. And thus, the high priest and the other priests were pleading with him to stop, pleading with him to flee. But what happened? Did he humble himself then? No. The scripture says he grew angry. Remember what we've already seen about pride? Pride and anger go hand in hand. So what did the Lord do? The Lord disgraced in public, disgraced King Uzziah. Because when pride comes, then comes disgrace, shame, reproach. And so we need to be aware. This is a consequence of the sin of pride, a real consequence. In the fifth and final place, we notice what Proverbs 16 and verse 18 declares. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. There is no single verse of Scripture in all the Bible more well known and quoted concerning the sin of pride than Proverbs 16 verse 18. With a double emphasis for effect to the reader, God's Word gives no wiggle room for the prideful, arrogant sinner. They have a certain payday coming. The inevitable outcome and consequence of their pride will be total ruin and destruction. Their lives will be shattered to pieces. Why? Because the Scripture teaches us in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5, the Lord opposes the proud. The Lord opposes the proud. Commenting on Proverbs 16, verse 18, Eric Lane wrote this. One who overreaches himself and climbs too high puts himself in great danger. But being full of self-confidence, he doesn't heed this, which makes him even more vulnerable. So what Lane is saying, what the scripture here is saying in Proverbs 16 verse 18 is this. The higher someone rises in their own self-perception, the greater the fall will be when it finally comes. Scary. The driving point which the wisdom of God's word is impressing so strongly on God's people concerning the sin of pride is that we must flee this sin at all costs. Let's understand this. While God loves us in Christ with an everlasting love that will never let us go, yet, yet, 
He hates and abominates every sin we commit against him. The Lord will therefore oppose in his people the sin of pride wherever it is cultivated in our flesh. We need then to take heed to the warnings against pride in the book of Proverbs. So even though, even though we need not fear ultimate condemnation from the Lord at the final judgment, okay, we love the wonderful gospel promise. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So we don't fear ultimate condemnation as God's people at the final judgment. But we will be chastened. We will be disciplined by our Heavenly Father if we get lifted up in ourselves and think somehow we're better and we're greater than everyone else around us. The Lord will not tolerate such arrogance in His people. He will not. So let us remember then and let us hide in our hearts. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he, the Lord, may exalt you. Have you ever meditated on those last words of Verse Peter 5 and verse 6, that as we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, if we're ever lifted up for any reason at all, it will be the Lord who's doing the lifting. And it will always be, what does Peter say? The proper time. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. We need to take heed to both the admonition, but also the encouragement of what God's word is teaching us here. Now next week as the Lord wills, we will look at the honor of humility. But tonight, let us be very sobered as Christians, as God's people, of how awful and how dreadful and how wicked the sin of pride really is. And understand this, brothers and sisters, there is no Christian who doesn't have to fight against, who doesn't have to oppose the sin of pride in their own hearts to some degree, greater or lesser. Because, you see, frankly, the sin of pride is at the root of all sins at the root of all sins. So we therefore need to be about the business, the spiritual business every day 
of mortifying this sin wherever we find it in ourselves and attached to whatever in our life it may be attached to. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, we, we do humble ourselves under your mighty hand this evening, Lord God, thanking you for what you have laid out before us from your holy, infallible word concerning the great sin and the great peril that comes with pride. We do very earnestly, Father, ask your forgiveness for every time that we ourselves have fallen guilty to this sin in our own minds, with our own mouths, with, with our own conduct, Lord, by the blood and the righteousness of your eternal Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we, we pray that you would cleanse us of the iniquity of this terrible and most awful sin. And Father, we pray further for the renewing work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to renew our minds as they have been renewed tonight according to the truth of your word regarding the sin of pride, really exposing what it is and what it is before you and what it therefore should be in our own eyes as your people. But Father, too, we, we pray and we trust the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our own individual lives to put this sin to death in whatever way it shows up, in whatever way we find it in ourselves. Indeed, Father, we pray that you will work in us a greater grace of sanctification whereby we will become more and more a humbler people of God that we will wear more in our day-to-day -day lives the grace of humility than the stench of pride. Father, we trust in you with all our hearts for such a work of grace that each one of us need. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.